Let us pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to study your word and to review key issues of our times. Lord, once again, I ask that you make me just a nail upon the wall, a rusty, sorry nail, Lord. But upon that nail, Lord, I ask that you hang a portrait of Jesus Christ. Lord, let Eric Walsh not be seen or heard. Instead, Father, let us hear a word from the throne room of grace. It's our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. We're going to go tonight. We have a lot to cover in this message, so we're going to get right into it. To Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. Uh, one of my favorite Bible stories. It is, um, I had, a, we were doing a Bible, we were doing a worship at our house, and one of the um, preteens that was in our group um, told us that she liked uh, horror movies. And so we studied these verses because I said, I want you to see <laughs> the closest thing the Bible has to a horror movie story. And this is it. Mark 5 and verse 1. And they came over unto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always, day, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. The Bible here gives us the story of a man who has been so uh, stricken with demon possession that the man has been driven to live in the tombs. And the symbology, not only the reality, but the symbology of this tells us that this man was in a dark and lonely place. I don't know about you, but I don't like cemeteries, especially not at nighttime. They're, they're quiet, uh, sometimes really too quiet. This man hid in the tombs because there he and the demons were unmolested. He was left alone there battling his demons. And the Bible tells us that when people tried to control him because he would come down out of the tombs and scare people and, and bite at them, he was, he was like a wild animal with no clothes on and he was uh, ungroomed. He, he, was, he was out of his mind completely. The Bible says that even when they did bind him with fetters and chains and that he was able to pluck them loose and that they, he would break the chains, uh, indicating that under his uh, demon possession, he had a superpower or super strength, I should say. And then the Bible says no man could tame him. They tried to control him and no one could. And then the Bible says he would cry in the tombs by himself, crying, cutting himself with stones. I'm sure you know that there is, even to this day, this phenomenon of hurt people cutting themselves with stones. Verse 6, after Jesus gets out of the ship, this man ran, runs at him. Verse 6 says something powerful. It says, but when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Now, this, you'd say, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. Here's a man possessed with demons, cutting himself, crying. No one can tame him. But when he sees Jesus, he's drawn to Jesus and he falls and worships him. And let me tell you, as we're about to see in the next few verses, 
what one of the things that's happening is the demons inside of him recognize Christ. Isn't that powerful? The Jews couldn't recognize who Jesus was. The Romans couldn't recognize who Jesus was. But the demons inside this man remembered Christ from the time when they all lived in harmony and peace before Lucifer's rebellion. Verse 7 says, In cried, the man cried with a loud voice. But it wasn't the man speaking, the demon speak, spoke. What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion for we are many. And one of the, in one of the synoptic gospels, it actually tells you that the demon requests not to be cast into the abyss, into the holding place. They did not want to be tormented. I want you to get this church. I don't care what demon is messing with you. They are subject to Christ. So much so that the legion, these many demons, when they run into Christ, they beg him how, how to deal with them because he had power to bind them too. Verse 10, and he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Instead, verse 11 says, there was a uh, great herd of swine feeding and all the devils. Did you see what that Bible says there in verse 12? And all the devils besought him. They asked him, hey, send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And so Jesus gave them leave, verse 13 says, and the unclean spirits went out entered into the swine and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea and there were about 2,000 swine and they were choked in the sea. They drowned in the sea. This is one of the fascinating stories of the life of Christ and all of the Bible. Jesus gets off a ship. He's accosted by this man and when the story is over, the demons that were in the man are in unclean pigs and they run to their death in the ocean. We'll come back to the story, but I, but I want to tell you that there are many people in America and yea around the world that are in a similar situation to this man. In fact, uh, this slide shows a, a cartoon um, with, the, with the Statue of Liberty with, with um, needles in her arms and it says the United States of Addiction. And you can see in the background that uh, that's supposed to be the Capitol building with, every, with, the, with, with Z's coming from as if they're asleep and the Statue of Liberty is crying out for help. Why is this happening? Because in our country, in America, for those listening who do not live in our country, uh, we have a major pandemic that the coronavirus is making worse. It is a pandemic of addiction and despair. We are watching people die of preventable diseases related to drug overdose, drug abuse, alcoholism, mental health issues, uh, and suicide. We are watching these things happen. And in fact, America is in trouble because while all of the attention is on the coronavirus, there is a, a, an effect on the mind that has not been taken into consideration. Look at what some of the, some of the experts say. It's a pandemic of despair. Suicide rates have increased 35% in the United States between 1999 and 2018. The CDC reports. These rates are, were elevated even higher among medical profession compared to other professions. Isn't that interesting? Those of us in the medical field have an even higher suicide rate. 
It appears likely that the COVID-19 pandemic will lead to an increased rates of mental health problems. And this one expert, uh, Sandro Galea, uh, MD, a, a doctor at the Boston University School of Public Health, uh, says we must recognize the pandemic that will quickly follow the coronavirus pandemic. And that is one of mental and behavioral illness. They go on to say three months into the coronavirus pandemic, the country is on the verge of another health crisis with daily doses of death, isolation and fear generating widespread psychological trauma. Federal agencies and experts warn that a historic wave of mental health problems, uh, a historic wave of health, mental health problems is approaching. Here, look at the list. Depression, substance abuse post-traumatic stress disorder, and suicide. Just as the initial outbreak of the novel coronavirus caught hospitals unprepared, the United States mental health system, vastly underfunded, fragmented, and difficult to access before the pandemic, is even less prepared to handle this coming surge. What kind of things are we seeing? Well, there's a wave of despair. I want you to see this. This is domestic violence is one of them. In fact, um, and I read an article that in France, under the lockdown, um, they, the only one of the few places open are pharmacies, and there are code words a woman can go in and say um, to let them know that she's being abused at home by her, her partner or significant other. We've seen a rise in domestic violence, in the use of opioids, and, and we'll talk more about drugs in detail in a second, but, but opioids are drugs that are taken, they are drugs of escape. Amphetamines and cocaine are drugs of adventure, but opiates are drugs of escape. Alcoholic liver disease and, uh, um, and suicides are on the rise. And I'll, I'll, I'll pause here because this thing about suicide has been one of the things that has been tough. I, I lost a, a, a teenage family member uh, to suicide, and, and it, 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 has, it has been gutturally wrenching for me that something like that could happen. And even recently, a good friend of mine, uh, um, someone I know who was studying to be a nurse, um, who had had some had difficulties in her life, had turned her life around and was going to school. I'd, I'd been witnessing to her about Christ regularly and sharing the Bible with her. And, and I left her. I moved away from California and, and kept in touch, writing letters of recommendation when she needed them, only to be called by some of the nurses I used to work with that she had taken her own life. Let me tell you something, church. The thing cut me to my core. I won't even give the, the details of, of how it happened or what happened, except that it seems she may have been a bit isolated and bullied at school, was not uh, accepted by others as easily. She was actually a very sweet girl and, and very helpful and very smart, brilliant. Um, I loved spending time with her when we were at work. But this is what we, the times we live in. And we live in a time that, that, that since God has been extracted from society, it's difficult for a lot of people to fill the voids that life will create. And we live in a time when just as those, that legion of demons had um, the Gadarene cutting himself with the stones in the tombs, I challenge you to, to, to think about this differently. But, 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 but today there are, are, are demonic influences challenging people to harm themselves. I remember there was a study I read, and I think there's even like a documentary around it uh, um, or a show or something about people who jumped from the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. 
And of all of the dozens of people who've jumped from the bridge, I don't remember how many it is, there's a, a slight handful that have jumped from the bridge and survived the suicide attempt. What was interesting, the one gentleman that I heard his story says that as soon as he let go of the bridge, the desire to commit suicide was gone. I want you to hear that again. In fact, every one of those who survived the jump to, the, to trying to kill themselves, every single one of them all said that as soon as they let go, and, we, and, and this has been supported by some other literature, that in fact, suicide is a weird thing that if you truly try to do it, if it's not just an attempt, and you do something expecting to lose your life, that many times that individual, as soon as they go beyond the point of no return, seemingly, the desire to kill yourself disappears. One part of that may be the mental illness that is connected to suicide, but as a Christian, I have to believe that there's a spiritual component to that. That the demons that have been messing with you, as soon as they think that that task is done, they step away long enough for you to regain control of your senses and realize you don't really want to die. And I don't know, maybe it's conjecture on my part. But I want to submit to you that in this time of despair, we ought to be praying for one another. We ought to be supporting one another. We ought not leave people in hurting. And we need to reach out to those who are in pain. I challenge you, church, to find someone who's having difficulty during this coronavirus and help support them. And if someone is truly considering suicide, they need to call a hotline and get some help. And at the same time, reach out to family members and to um are professionals that they might know that might be able to help. And here's why. One of the things about suicide that is ultimately true is that it is very, it's very selfish. The pain left behind by those who have to deal with the aftermath is a pain that words can barely describe. And yet, it's because people were hurting that they get into this. So one of the things, one of the slow forms of suicide, of course, is opiates. You can see here, um, America outpaces um, um, how much opiates we take more than any other country. Canada is second. Germany is third. Uh, Australia makes the list down there at the bottom. Um, Belgium does. The Netherlands does. Spain is at the bottom. But these are all of the top uh, opiate-using countries in the world. If you look here, this is uh, U.S. opioid overdose deaths on this graph. Um, uh, if you're just listening and you can't see this, from 1999 to 2007, this number has like tripled. Um, in a number of uh, opioid-related deaths that are happening in this country. And I've had patients that this has happened to, and I can tell you, it's a terrible thing when someone overdoses on drugs. And, and so how does all of this happen? We talked about the frontal lobe um, in, in the, some of the other sermons on, um, that we've done on, when we talk about the seal of the living God. But, but again, it's the frontal lobe. It's the part of the brain where reasoning happens that the devil wants to get to. Why? Because reasoning is connected with salvation. Come now, Isaiah 118 says, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And when I worked in addiction medicine, my training time, I should say, in addiction medicine at the Veterans Hospital at Loma Linda University um, in Loma Linda, California, I'll never forget the time I spent in the, in the groups um, as these veterans of American wars were, were overcoming different types of addictions, powerful, strong, resilient men trying to put themselves back together. I've great respect for them. In fact, I found that many of them know Christ better than many of us who've never gone through some of the things they've been through. But they would have a chant 
that they would say. And if you listen to my sermons, you've heard this before. But one of the chants that they would say in the group is, God made the human heart so big that only he can fill it. God made the human heart so big that only he can fill it. And I asked one of the veterans, what does that mean? He said, listen, there's a God-sized hole in everyone's heart. If you try and fill that hole with drugs or alcohol, with sex or food, you become addicted to that thing. You'll never know peace until the God-sized hole in your heart is filled with God. We talked to one of the previous messages about the body temple. Um, the body is like a temple in the sanctuary. We talked about the fact that the most holy place in the sanctuary, if the body is like the sanctuary, the most holy place is the frontal lobe. This is where reasoning happens. The, the holy, most holy place is where the Shekinah glory of God would fall. And it's the part of you that must be protected. That's why Ephesians 6, 17, like the verse we just read earlier says, and take the helmet of salvation. You're to, you're to, you're to protect your brain. That means you don't just let anything influence you to, uh, to take away your sobriety. Bible makes it clear, be, be, be sober, be vigilant. For your adversary, the devil, like a roaming lion, walketh about seeking whom he might devour. You've got to be sober. In fact, Proverbs 23 says it like this in verse 31. Um, people say, well, the Bible says you can drink wine, a little wine for the stomach's sake. Jesus turned the water into wine. People skipped Proverbs 23, 31 and 32, where the Bible says, look not, look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it gives his color in the cup, when it moves itself aright. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. The Bible says, and what, what, what Solomon is describing in verse 31 is the process of fermentation. What he's describing is that when it turns from grape juice to alcoholic wine, you are not to touch it. Why? Because it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Poisonous. In fact, if you keep reading on in Proverbs, it says um, that your eyes will behold strange women meaning that your judgment disappears and all of a sudden you'll you'll deal with people you're not supposed to deal with you, you'll, you'll you'll lay with people you would never have laid with you'll put yourself in dangerous predicaments because you are intoxicated and what happens is that when you drink alcohol the release of a chemical in your brain called GABA which is an inhibiting chemical in terms of behavior it, it is inhibited so your inhibition is inhibited, meaning you begin to just flow and you begin to take risks and chances. Your judgment is taken away. So alcohol becomes dangerous on many levels. So the Bible forbids it. It says, don't even look upon it. Verse 31 of Proverbs chapter 23. But this serpent bites, as you can see here, it causes cirrhosis of the liver. One of the things, one of the, one of the um, diseases of despair we talk about in America now is the damage to the liver by alcohol because people are drinking so much that they're damaging their liver. Of course, uh, kidney failure is connected to, heart failure is connected to it. Um, and, uh, and as you can see, it's a damage to brain function. So in the immediate run, you lose the ability to, to make good, wise judgments because of what happens with GABA. You get intoxicated and your guard goes down. And here's the funny thing about getting drunk. Whatever problem, because alcohol works more like the opiates, it's more of an escape drug than it is an excitement drug, even though people use it both ways. But one of the problems is when you use this escape drug, I want you to get this, church. When you use this escape drug to escape life's problems, when you sober up, 
The problem is still there. In fact, a lot of times it's only worse. So alcohol is dangerous. A lot of people say, well, alcohol is good for you. No, it's not the alcohol. It's the resveratrol and the other compounds in the, and the other um, uh, antioxidants and phytochemicals and nutrients in the grape, especially in the skin of a grape, that is so good for you. It's not the alcohol part of it. It's all of the other stuff. You can eat grapes and get the same effect. In fact, if you're healthy, the alcohol won't really give you any benefit at all. It just gives you risk. Just one glass of wine a night increases the risk of breast cancer in a woman. Alcohol increases the risk of esophageal cancer and uh, oral cancers. It, it, it causes, um, of course, all of the liver problems may contribute to cardiovascular disease. In fact, most would argue it does. And so why would you drink something that has all those risk factors to try and escape something else? Of course, the devil isn't playing. So, of course, he's moved to even towards marijuana. I have a picture here of some of the great rappers, Red Man, Method Man, uh, Snoop Dogg, and others here. They're the, and they have a thing here, the best weed songs. Um, and they have a 420 hip-hop mix because 420 is like marijuana day in the world. And so uh, they, they have all these songs because they it's almost like they worship marijuana in singing to it, going all the way back to the Rastafarians and reggae music. Um, it, it, it's like as if the devil has figured out a way to get people to really want these things by making these things culturally popular in the movies and in the music. Um, but what this tells is that marijuana use and addiction are most pronounced in America's young people. Uh, of those going to rehabilitation for marijuana addiction, 45% are under 21 years of age. Uh, and when you go up to 24, it's 55%. It's a, this is a young person's thing, not that older people aren't smoking. But one of the things I want you to get is that marijuana also inhibits GABA. If you drink alcohol and smoke marijuana, you can suppress GABA for a long time and, and really impair your judgment. Um, this says chronic marijuana use and higher dosages are found to correlate to greater incidence of psychosis and schizophrenia. They used to say if you start smoking marijuana before the age of 18, you, your lifelong risk of of, of, of psychotic illness goes up. We now know, look, look, there's a little poster I have here and it says marijuana-induced psychosis is real. The science proves it. People must know the risks. They're not telling you this. CNN has their specials on medical marijuana. They're not emphasizing this enough in my opinion. They've got to tell people that in fact there is a risk in smoking marijuana that you can actually go into a psychotic phase. I have seen this with my own two eyes as a physician multiple times. Young people high. Sometimes they've eaten marijuana brownies and eaten two, three times as much as they're supposed to and go into an acute phase of psychosis. Once when I was doing psychiatry in medical school at the University of Miami, one young man came in so messed up. He was urinating right in front of all of us and fell down and began to worship his grandmother high. He was no longer even high. What was scary is the psychiatrist said that he, the last joint it smoked was like a, two weeks earlier, but whatever they laced it with and whatever the, was in the marijuana itself blew the boy's mind permanently. And the reason this is going to happen more and more is because they figured out a way to make the tetrahydrocannabinoid, the THC, the active psychotropic substance in marijuana more potent. It was 3% in, uh, in uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Now they have samples as high as 25%. So the, the chances that someone are predisposed to getting the psychosis is actually higher today than ever before. Marijuana changes spatial and time perceptions, increasing accidents. It decreases memory. 
So you're looking for, you know, you're you're looking for an advantage in life and it's actually taking away your memory. And it, one of the things that's relevant during this coronavirus outbreak is there's some evidence that it, it modulates the immune system. Some say, well, it's a great anti-inflammatory, but that's because like steroids, like prednisone, it actually lowers uh, your immune system so you don't get the same inflammatory response. The problem with that is if you're exposed to a virus, might this actually make it more likely you get very sick? And you can see here, I put a, a, a there's a collage here of all of the movies, Reefer Madness, Caddyshack, Cheech and Chong, there's a Dave Chappelle movie, all these movies, and they promote the use of marijuana. And you've seen some of my presentations where I talk about uh, the science that if a, a young person watches a movie and sees certain things, it is more likely that they will, they will try it. So we're seeing an epidemic of drug use and drug abuse now. But marijuana is different from all other drugs because it works backwards. And, and during this time of coronavirus and the lockdown, a lot of people are trying to escape their problems. They, I saw, I read something where people are using marijuana as a way to, 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 to ride out the, um, the lockdown and the quarantining. But marijuana is different from all other drugs. All other drugs work on what we call, and in the picture here you can see the presynaptic side of the nerve. Cocaine, all these, they, they come here and they push dopamine out like crazy. Marijuana works on the postsynaptic side. What that means is that it messes with some of the receptors. And by messing with those receptors, what happens is um, it actually changes the way you respond to life when you're not high on marijuana. It means, in other words, it makes life less pleasurable in general. And so it creates a problem, a, a something called amotivational syndrome. And this is why you see some people start smoking marijuana and all of a sudden they have no ambition, no drive to do better in life. It is because the postsynaptic receptors have been damaged to the normal dopamine release that comes from getting an A on a test or doing well in sports or whatever the thing is that is affected by this. All of a sudden you don't get the dopamine rush and you don't get the pleasure you used to get from it. You no longer want to do it. And because of the same, for the same reasoning, Marijuana is a very strong potential uh, gateway drug because if this happens to your postsynaptic dopamine receptors and you take cocaine, you're going to get a higher high than you would have gotten if you'd never done this. Of course, we're still dealing with the opioid epidemic. I won't focus too much on this except to say that while we're talking about the coronavirus for years now, we've been dealing with over, you know, on average, over 130 people dying every day in the United States because of opiate uh, overdosing. And there's so much, I mean, there's so much data even on here um, about opiates. Two million people had an opiate use disorder in 2018. Two million people. Far more people uh, negatively impacted by opiate addiction in 2018 than coronavirus so far in 2020. Yet, to be truthful, we're not doing a whole lot to try and reverse this. And this is one of the studies I was talking about. A 2012 study shows that movies influence teen sexual attitudes and behaviors. Um, uh, research has long established that teens to, who watch movies or listen to music that glamorizes drinking, drug use, or violence states that tend to engage in these behaviors themselves. And of course, it, the same thing is true for sex and sexual behavior. And this is what Ellen White says, Ephesians 6 and verse 12. Man is contending with foes that are, who are stronger than he. And she quotes Ephesians 6.12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against 
the rulers of the darkness of this world against wicked spirits in high places, Ephesians 6 and verse 12. And let me submit to you that this addiction that we have, even the food addiction, we'll talk more about that in another sermon, but one of the reasons that it happens is because there are, the, there are people who are designing drugs, designing food, designing everything to get you hooked. Why do they want you hooked? To keep the money circulating on the financial side, but from the spiritual side, they want the devil wants you hooked because once you are hooked to something on earth, it's difficult to get hooked on what is heavenly. And this is what the drug and alcohol epidemic has done. Created a nation where many full of shame and guilt over their addictions. They are powerless to do anything about it. Satan sits back. He understands our physiology. He knows how we work. He will expose us to those things that we will become addicted to. This is why Solomon says, don't even look at the wine because a certain percentage of us, if we start to drink wine, we'll we'll develop a problem with alcohol. How does Paul say in Romans 7 and verse 8, Paul says, Verse 18, sorry, Romans 7, verse 18 says, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. Paul describes addiction from the spiritual angle here. The good that I would, I don't do it. But the evil, which I would not, that's what I do. Even when you know cocaine is bad. Even when you know heroin is bad. Even when you know that cigarette is bad. You keep going back to the cigarette, back to the heroin, back to the cocaine, back to the alcohol. Verse 21 says it like this. I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members that's in my flesh, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Listen, verse 24 says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? The Bible says that's in our flesh. There's a war going on against our mind. One of my great mentors, Dr. James Kyle, I quote his something he said in the Health and Temperance Day many years ago at our church in California. He said that your body will conspire to kill you. If you give your body everything it wants, your body will conspire to kill you. Every craving for a Snickers bar or a glass of wine or a beer, every one of them, as it damages your body, it is your very body that cries out for it. That's why Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You've got to understand that your body, your flesh is working against you, not just in this life, but in your eternal life. That's why we are not to walk after the flesh, but after the spirit. Why? Because the drugs of abuse, they target the brain's pleasure centers. This is dopamine. This is how much dopamine is released when you eat food. You see just a few uh, molecules released, but this is what happens when you re- cocaine. In fact, lab rats, once they've tried cocaine, will starve to death going after cocaine. That's how, uh, that's how the devil, he uses these natural, relatively natural substances, co- cocaine, heroin from a poppy plant, alcohol from grapes. They come from natural sources. They might ferment it or process it a little bit. 
But the devil has figured out a way to use those things to hijack the normal pleasure systems in the brain given to us for survival. That's what it is. And the, the stages of addiction look like this. The first stage is you discover that the agent produces pleasure. So I remember when I was a kid growing up here in Connecticut in Bloomfield. And one of my friends, when we were just like in the sixth grade, had tried a cigarette. And we were to asking him, well, how does a cigarette make you feel? We were walking back from school. How does a cigarette make you feel? He says, I don't know. I get this buzz. You know, I, I feel like a buzz. That's, you know, if, I'm sure you've heard the older people say that. And I just feel so good. But after a while, the buzz disappears. And what you have there is the mood swing. So you have a bad day at work, that glass of wine. And I, 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 when I'm at work, I'm always shocked. If we're having a tough day at work, how many people say, man, I want to, I want to, uh, you know, I want a vodka and rum after, uh, vodka and coke after work. Or I want to, I don't even know what these drinks are. I don't drink, but I, I want to, I want some um, tequila or whatever it is. I mean, it's 10 o'clock in the morning and you're so stressed out that you're thinking after our 12-hour shift, all you can think about is what alcohol you're going to have. Why? Because when there's when stressed, you start to crave a mood swing. And the agent will produce this mood swing to make you feel better. But it's very superficial, as I said earlier. All of your problems don't disappear because you change your mood. You just feel different about your problems. But after a while, you become preoccupied with the mood swing. So you keep going after the, the, the substance that gives it to you. And by the fourth stage, you become obsessed with the agent. The mood swing may no longer be present. And here's when you're truly addicted. Let me tell you how, how tough it is. And this is why I don't, I'm not a judge of, of, of addicts. I don't judge them because I understand the moral component of drug addiction happens in the first stage when you were not an addict and you were looking for pleasure in a place you knew might give you danger. But by the end of it, when the person is obsessed with the mood swing and they're an addict, you have to understand the person who smokes a cigarette will run outside into the cold to smoke the cigarette because smoking a cigarette now, after all those years of addiction, it actually just makes them feel normal. They have no more buzz, very little or no mood swing. That is addiction, my friends. You use the substance just to feel normal. And that's why it's so difficult to break addictions so one of the things that, that is, plays into this is stress I have something called a stress equation based on a definition I have um, and the stress equation reads stress equals demands minus resources so what the devil does is he gives you false resources he gives you alcohol as a resource he gives you marijuana and cigarettes and you think you can manage your stress with false resources the problem is if it's not a real resource it will not help your stress in fact it will make your Stress worse by increasing your demands, the demand to go and spend five dollars for or more for a pack of cigarettes or to buy the alcohol or the DUIs you get related to the alcohol. It just increases your demands, making your stress worse in the long run. And here's the irony. So you get so you go running more to the false resources to try and get away from the stress, the false resources causing in the first place. And now you're in a flywheel. You're in a trap of addiction. You got to learn to beat stress without substances, chemicals, food, or a, or a specific behavior. This is how people get addicted to many, many things, like gambling even. Lower your demands and increase your resources because God gives you real resources. 
God gives you the resource of prayer. That's why Jesus says, um, lay your yoke upon me. Jesus says, my, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, listen, he'll take our burdens. He'll carry our burdens. He will give us reprieve. You got to call on him. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. That calls me from a world of care and bids me at my Savior's throne to make all my wants and wishes known. In seasons of distress and grief, my soul has often found relief. How has my soul found relief? By the return of the sweet hour of prayer. You see, there's a God-sized hole in your heart, church. If you try and manage your stress with substances, behaviors, food, you'll simply become an addict and increase your stress. But if you put your resources in God, in his Bible promises, and in calling upon his name, you will get real relief. Remember, your God does not own a thousand cattle on one hill. Your God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And even if you're addicted, even if the guilt and the shame of it has creeped into your life and you're hearing this message, I want you to know that God has a plan for you and he can build you back up. We've been told through evolution and all of the modern sciences that somehow we don't count, that somehow we're just a, 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 a bunch of accidental organic material that's come together. So we have no purpose that's a lie. And I don't care how far into addiction or drugs you've gone. If you're willing to make steps back to Christ, he will come running towards you. How do you beat stress then? I'll give you a few verses here and I'll give you a little strategy on how you can overcome different addictions. Proverbs 17 and verse 22 says, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. I want you to start with a positive attitude. I want you to stop focusing on all that is wrong and begin to look around at your life at all that is right. Look at the people who love you. Look at your children. Look at the fact that God is providing for you, that you still have the ability to reason with God, meaning you still have the opportunity to be saved, that you still have your freedoms. There's so many things I could go into, all of the good things. You've got to focus on those things and have a merry heart because it will begin to heal you. Satan wants you to focus on your problems and your shortcomings because they will keep you in the, in the flywheel of addiction. Paul says it like this to Timothy. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I want to challenge you, church. And those listening who have these problems, I want you to understand that the opposite of fear is not just courage, even though we often think of it that way. But biblically, the opposite of fear is love because the Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. I challenge you to stop focusing on the fact that you failed or what's gone wrong. I, I don't even think you ought to keep focusing uh, unnecessarily constantly on the traumas of your past. I, I would rather that you turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. If you can look to Jesus, his spirit Take away that spirit of fear and you'll have power, love, and a sound mind. 
Romans 12 and verse 2 says it like this, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Your mind is to be transformed. Let me tell you something. One of the things that's happening now as we are sitting in quarantine, many of us, is this is an opportunity for us to focus on God, spend time with him, go for nature walks, uh, sing the hymns together as a family. Why? Renew your mind now. Don't worry about what's on Netflix. Renew your mind. In fact, we've been wasting our money on a lot of things. Isaiah 55 and verse 2 says, Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good. This is not simply talking about the physical food. This is spiritual food. We spend a lot of money on bad spiritual food that will never fill us up. Just like they said, for God, um, uh, for, for, um, that there's a God-sized hole in each one of us. And unless we make up our minds to fill the God-sized hole in our hearts with the, with the God of the universe, with his love and with his spirit, we will chase bad bread all of our lives. Well, back to Mark 5 to our story. After the swine, 2,000 of them about, run into the ocean and are choked to death, Mark 5 and verse 14 says this, And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was, what it was that was done. And look at this, verse 15 of Mark 5 says, And they came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil, the guy that was possessed, and had the legion of demons, and had the legion sitting, listen, and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Did you hear that, church? They saw the man sitting. No, remember they said no man could tame him. Let me tell you something. If there's something in your life that seems it cannot be tamed, some passion, some addiction you have, I'm telling you that you must submit that thing to Christ Jesus. He can tame it just like he tamed this demoniac with the legion of demons. He's sitting, tamed, clothed, and the clothed represents the man was naked, just as the scripture references many times uh, as the church of Laodicea was poor and blind and naked and did not realize that they were in need of so many different things. Um, and, and Jesus says to the church of Laodicea to buy of him gold tried in the fire and white raiment that thou might be clothed. The clothes here represents his uh, Jesus' robe of righteousness, just as the prodigal son's father puts a robe on him to cover his sin. The man is now clothed. What am I telling you, church? If you've had an addiction problem, if you sunk deep into drugs, depression, you've had all of those problems, I'm submitting to you that not only can Christ tame you, meaning he can give you victory over what has been binding you, the other thing that Christ will do, he will put the robe of righteousness upon you. Why is that relevant? Because the sin that the world wants to point out in you, Christ will cover And he was in his right mind. I remember many, when I was working in addiction medicine, many of them would ask me, if drugs damage your brain, can I, ever get the, can I ever get my mind back? Can I ever get my brain back the way it's supposed to be? There's a verse that says that God will restore unto you the land that the locusts have taken. And I believe that if you're willing to follow the Adventist health message and study the word and, 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 and be one in Christ, your mind can be healed. 
But when the people saw this man sitting there clothed in his right man, they were afraid. Verse 16 says, and they, and they saw, and they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. Verse 17 says, and they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. They would say like, Jesus, you need to get out of here, man. We never seen nothing like this. And you killed all our pigs. Get out. Verse 18, and when he was coming to the ship, Jesus was about to depart. He that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be, that he might be with him. The one that the devil was cast out of when he's healed, he says, listen, Jesus, I just want to stay with you. We all ought to be like that. I just want to stay with you, Jesus. Verse 19, how be it? Jesus suffered him not, but said unto him, go home to your friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for you and hath had compassion on you. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And look at the last part of this. And all men did marvel. This man was the Freddy Krueger, the Jason of their day. The, 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 all of the crazy, I don't know what the, that clown's name is in the other scary looking movie, but I don't watch that stuff. I'm, I'm way too chicken. But children were afraid of this man. Villagers would avoid that path where he was in the tombs. Can you imagine when he clothed and in his right mind, groomed, walks into the town and begins to say, I met a man named Jesus and he has freed me from the demons that bound me. Church, somebody has come out of addiction. They've come out of a life of sin, of abuse, of shame, of trauma, whatever it is. And you have been dealt with by Christ. Let me tell you something. I want to give you a load of purpose during this pandemic, I want you to understand that whatever it is that God has given you victory over, he is now calling you to help others get victory over. He wants you to use what he has done for you as a witness and so that you can strategize and so that you can tell others, look, God delivered me, he can deliver you. Because the devil wants them to stay in shame. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 6. I'm going to read uh, verse 9 and 10 and 11. It says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. The drunk, the Bible says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, let me tell you something. I may not have ever drank, but when I read this list, I say, Lord, have mercy on me. How could I ever be saved? How could I ever make it into the kingdom? I, I, I read this for one of my other messages in this series, but I want to make the point again in verse 11. Paul then says to the Corinthians, and such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Such were some of you. Church, I want you to know it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. God is concerned about your future. What are you willing to ask God for now? What direction are you going to in life? God wants you to move forward with him. And I know we're in the middle of a pandemic. I know the coronavirus is scary, but I'm challenging you, church. I'm challenging all those who would listen to this. 
that you can put your past behind you. My God says that he will take your sin, cast it into the sea of forgetfulness, and he will remember your sin no more. That is a powerful Bible promise. And if he forgets your sin, why would you keep remembering it? I challenge you. Paul lists a horrible list of sin, and then he says some of you, but such were some of you. Past tense, victory can be ours. So I challenge you in a time of pandemic, of addiction and despair, I challenge you to reach out to the hand of the living God. I challenge you to get back into the word and into prayer. Spend time with God. Don't focus on your sin. Focus on your savior. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And I'm telling you that the more you focus on Christ, the more the things of this world will become unimportant and fall away. Because you don't have to live in despair and you don't have to be addicted. Christ can set you free just as he set this demoniac free. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to study your word. Lord, we thank you that you still set free those bound in the captivity of mental uh, addiction and, and, and uh, mental despair, those that are bound in self-harm, addiction and self-abuse. Father God, I pray that someone who heard this will know that just as you liberated the Gadarene, that Lord, you can liberate them. But they've got to turn their eyes to you. They've got to run to you. They've got to fall down and worship you just as the Gadarene did. Father God, we ask that going forward, we all would accept you as Lord and Savior and liberator. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.